Hello, everyone. Before we get started with this week's episode, we just have a couple of announcements. The sort of biggest one is that we're mixing it up this summer and we are taking a hiatus from releasing episodes of Escape from Reality to bring you our new podcast, The Gay Pilot Podcast, about our flag means death. Because if there's anyone that Hot Pirate Summer was invented for, it is us. But don't worry, we're still having our usual June Pride Spectacular complete with a advice episode, which you should have until June 1st to get in. So if you haven't submitted your questions, now is the time. You can do it at our website, uh, hashtag ruthless.com slash contact. And you can also subscribe to the Gay Pirate Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts at right now. Yep. We also, there will be one other special treat that will show up in your uh, Escape from Reality feed during June. I'm not going to spoil it, but it is very fun. Uh, But yeah, you know what? It's 2022. We do what we want. We were planning on taking the summer totally off. So this is like better because you can still (laughs) listen to us talk about something. And that something is gay pirates. And it's going to be so fucking great. So you know, check the show notes. There will be a link. It should be in whatever podcast app you're listening to currently. And the first episode comes out today, the day that you're listening to this. So, you know, you can finish this episode of Escape from Reality and immediately listen to the first episode of the Gay Pirate Podcast. Just so much back-to-back queer content. Like, what what are you going to do with yourself? It's like Pride has come early. It's great. Exactly. You're welcome. (laughs) 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 all right everyone with that please enjoy today's episode uh tell me more about how his eyes look simon it's almost (laughs) as if simon enjoys being chastised by baz or something like is this how you describe your enemies it's really not hot yeah like basically (laughs) I feel like I just want to be like quote unquote enemies for every time we bring up Pass. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Wayward Son by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about chapters 30 and 31 of Wayward Son, in which, in chapter 30, in Penny's POV, everyone's driving with Shepard, and after about an hour, Penny's magic has finally returned so she can threaten slash question Shepard. He's offering to help, which is still very sus in Penny's mind. Though, after a few spells, it turns out he's not actively out to get them, probably. Simon is enjoying Baz hugging him just a shy of too much. Everyone is hungry till they stop at a rest stop for food slash peeing slash small mammal hunting and plan to ditch Shepard ASAP. Back to Penny, who gets more information about Quiet Zone and Shepard attempts to trade information, but mostly just tells Penny what he knows, which in Penny's opinion is still too damn much for a normal. Shepard tries to get her to see where he is coming from, you know, to find out that magic is real and not to not try to find out everything about it. But Penny is extremely not having it. Chapter 31. We have Shepard's POV for the first the first time. Um, He has realized that he has pushed Penny a little bit too hard and she is not as 
easily charmed as other lonely maybes, aka magical beings. Uh, Shepard's general strategy is just to be really honest and honestly curious, which disarms magical beings. Not mages though, because mages are elitist as fuck. Even though the three mages he's with are extremely tight-lipped, they still end up sharing a hotel room. Penny and Baz pass the fuck out, leaving Simon and Shepard awake. Simon also won't give any information up, which bummer. Yep. Uh, Before we get into it, it is time for you to send us your questions for our annual Pride Gender and Sexuality Advice episode. So please get those to us by June 1st. Uh, You can email them to thegailyprofit at gmail.com. Or you can send them through the contact form on our website, which is hashtag ruthless.com. You know, anything relating to gender and sexuality that you want to hear our thoughts and advice on is welcome. And other than that, just a reminder that we're spoiling everything through the end of the series. And now we're going to enter... Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Um, do you want me to start or do you want to start? I'd love for you to start. Uh, I just want to point out that I know Penny's freaked out and angry, but like trying to strangle the person who is driving the car is like really not a good idea. I mean, obviously she's not choking him hard, but she like has her hand around his neck for kind of a long time. True. I... I didn't read that as trying to strangle him. I think it was like, while she was checking, magically checking him for weapons, she wanted to make sure that like, she had some sort of control of the situation that would like stop him from stabbing her, for instance. I guess that's true. I will give you though, Penny's not making a lot of great choices when it comes to (laughs) how she's interacting with the person who is actively driving her somewhere in a vehicle. Yeah. Um, the thing that I love most about the scene where Penny has her hand on Shepard's throat is the fact that he just starts laughing at her when she's so <laughs> offended by the idea that magical creatures would want to go to run fast. <laughs> yeah, I was immediately like, uh, duh, magical creatures want to go to run fast. Didn't you just experience Simon being so happy to be at run fair? And just exactly. Be- be his like beautiful unusual self and everyone's like cool man you look great exactly all of the like where creatures could go undisguised and people would just think they were like had the best furry costumes right and i feel like though it doesn't make any sense i feel like whenever i've been to red fair i've seen a hilarious amount of people in furry off and furry i don't want to say costume but like in the like full elaborate furry personas personas is that what they're Thank called you. I think the I think fursona is just like what your furry, you know, personality is okay. as opposed to the actual suits. I don't want to say out, suits. I don't know. The suits are very elaborate and very expensive, so I'm kind of like I feel like calling it a suit seems just like a little bit like downplaying. But anyway, right. And right, you could be a weird creature, you'd show up and everybody would just be like, "Man, that is an excellent fursuit. That person got sprung for the high end." The high-end ones. And people be like, yeah, the high-end ones, sure. <laughs> okay, so they are called fursuits, but it's like one word, so it looks fancy. Okay, that like makes for, sense. For sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just 
They want an extra, like, whatever the grammatic little yeah, on little top of letters are. Accent mark. Thank you. I'm like, what are those called? <laughs> I think we both just were like, blank. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I mean, I made a sound effect. So, I mean, like, I was just like, you know, the thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's your turn. Okay, so I understand Penny is exhausted, but I feel like her casting true colors and him and Shepard just glowing purple. I'm like that. If everyone just kind of glows purple, I'm like that doesn't. I mean, it seems useful to be like you're like your intentions are super good or your intentions are super bad. I guess that's good to rule out. But I'm kind of like that doesn't really. I guess it's good to know that he's not gonna like, you know, serious like axe murder you, but. Do you think it's like, like blue full stop, purple full stop, red full stop, or is it like the whole spectrum between blue and red? So that if you're more of a like magenta, you're definitely more dangerous versus more of a like royal purple, you're probably pretty safe. I mean, I guess that that's what I was. That is what I would assume would be like varying varying shades. So in that case, I would think it's pretty useful, right? Because if he's glowing more on the royal purple end of things, then mm. it's like, okay, he just wants to like, he's saying he just wants to know everything about magic. That's probably the truth versus yeah. if he's like hanging out in magenta, you're like, no, this dude's probably going to like sell us to the next were skunk that we meet. Right. I guess I just feel like still the nuance of that is sort of like, you know, I feel there's so many things you could like so many intentions you could be hiding that like what if you're just like lying to yourself about something you're like in denial about this thing and it's like oh man you have these terrible intentions and it's like no i just have anxiety i think i'm a terrible person i don't know like Mm, you know interesting yeah is it is it an objective danger indicator is it subjective to the person asking about the danger or subjective to the person presenting the danger these are very good questions. And I mean, and we know from a couple episodes ago that since fuck is a volatile word to use in spells, that that, that so, those sort of intentions do matter. For some spells. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like a what are your true intention spell is sort of like, well, wow, that's very subjective mm-hmm. because truth is subjective. <laughs> yep. Not to get very postmodern for a minute. Anyway, <laughs> glad to use my degree every once in a while. <laughs> So speaking of being sold to the next were skunk, this were skunk is named Jeff Arnold. <laughs> which is so for funny. The, for the record, this is like a very Midwest name. It does, yes. Which is funny enough on its own, but so much funnier that when Penny expresses surprise about his name being Jeff Arnold, Shepard is like, what do you think his name would be? Flower? <laughs> Though like there is definitely a queer were skunk who is named flower i'm just throwing that out there yes Mm. yes definitely and just like unironically but also ironically uses twitter painted all the time no (gasps) one can deal with oh my god yes i think it's your turn um, okay, so Penny describes Shepard's haircut as basically being a high top fade, but uh, you cannot convince me that Shepard does not have a, like, 90s high top fade, which I think folks should Google if you were not around in the 90s to know about, I don't know, like, kid and play and, like, the very extremely neat and tall 
high top fags that that existed then. Mm-hmm. So, have like, you seen? No, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, they still obviously exist. I mean, my preferred hi- hairstyle is like a very short high top fade, essentially. But there's like the contemporary version of that haircut, and then there's like vintage '90s version of that haircut, and the, and there's two. They're still like very diff- specifically different. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, oh no, Shepard has a vintage 90s haircut to go with his jacket that are covered in Comic-Con buttons or shit. He's brought on Etsy, like 110%. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, actually, I'm going to say I had this in Silhouette, but speaking of Shep's hair, everything about the way that he dresses and like presents himself just like screams bisexual and it makes me so <laughs> happy. Um, I think at separate times in my life, I have owned all of the things that he is described with wearing. And I actually do have to rebutton my denim jacket, which I am very excited about. So yeah, no, uh, Shepard is definitely a 110% bisexual nerd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like is also confirmed by the fact that he works at Dick Blicks. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I did double check. There are only they are only Dick Blicks in America, which it makes sense why Penny's like, the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Even though I think I, I think now they're just called Blicks or something. Yeah. It is a very pretentious art supply store, but I don't know. I guess a not pretentious art supply store is like Joanne, so I'm just like, I don't know which <laughs> don't know what Yeah. Want. Or like Michael's. Or if you want to go fundy Christian Hobby Lobby. Don't go there. Yeah, don't go there. They're owned by terrible fun- fundamentalist Christians who really want to police the bodies of their workers. So. Yep. So staying on like Shepard and bisexual energy, um, Shepard is a Buffy fan and asks if they're slayers which is amazing. And then as I was typing it, I was like, oh my God, he's been having this like mind fuck of like, what is this vampire doing slaying vampires? And I feel like as soon as he said out loud, oh, wait, are you slayers? He was like, oh, now I have like a slot to put Baz in and it's Spike. And that just made me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also think that is precious and uh, Shepard 110% has a Buffy pin on his jacket. So. Oh, definitely. Probably one, the one that like says Slayer has like a stake on it. I don't remember who was selling that, but it's very cute. Um, I cannot look it up right now because I'm still boycotting Etsy. So, but once, whenever the boycott is over, y'all should look it up because it is, I feel like it's hard to find cute Buffy merch, but independent creators, once again, filling in those gaps. Yep. Someday, us too. We have, I mean, we have We Are the Gayers shirts and stickers, which are cute, but they're not like super specific. Besides that, all we have is an I seem to have a design flaw mug that I think is wonderful, but like it might just be me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now it's definitely your turn. Actually, I I feel like the next three things that I have are all about Shepard. Cool. The things that Shepard says in these chapters like is so it's so good we're referring to normals such as himself as beast of jargon so good also my next point that is like the best turn of phrase so so good it's so good 
I know. I'm like, I want someone else to appreciate that besides us, the readership. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He also gets to use the phrase white devil literally and not figuratively. (laughs) Which I also deeply appreciate. It's so good. And I had to look this up, but he calls Simon at the end of chapter 31 winged victory. Which I'm like, is that a superhero that I don't know about? It is not. It is a art nerd reference. Winged Victory is, I guess, a very famous statue in the Louvre of, like, Greek marble-like art. Where it's just, the statue doesn't have a head, but it's like it's like a woman in, like, a wrap. But her arms are just wings, and they're just, like, spread behind her. Hmm. It, looks, it looks very beautiful. I've not been to the Louvre, so I did not, was not aware of this until <laughs> half an hour before we're recording this. And I'm like... What an art nerd reference that is. <laughs> it's totally on brand. Shepard has not gone to college, I believe. But I feel like if he did, he would totally go to school for art history. Yeah, or like maybe Shepard completed like a semester and a half of like being in art school and was like, actually, mm, this is not as cool as finding out about magical people. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I feel like art history would be such a good way to actually do a huge deep dive into magic, you Mm -hmm. know, real magic, because you would be learning all this stuff and be like, this artist, you know, was believed to have blah, 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 blah. And he'd be like, okay, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, Which would be really rad. Yeah. But I'm in full support of everyone not going to college if they don't extremely want to go to college or extremely want a job you legitimately want to call need a college degree for yeah (laughs) okay so my last thing in easy come is just we get our first mention of the next blood yeah a little bit of a foreshadowing here which i deeply appreciate Welcome to I See a Little Silhouetto of a Man, where we talk about character development. We talked about almost all of my stuff already, because most of what I had here is about Shepard, but um, I do still have a few things. Do you have Shepard stuff? I have a few things, and then I have one thing about Penny. Cool. So just in general, we learn a lot about Shepard in these chapters. Um... Mostly just that he's, like, really great and really cool. Um, I just... He does all this, like, really incredible stuff. You know, he befriends dryads and trolls and hanky punks. And he's so chill about it, even when he's just talking to, like, us, to the reader. The nonchalance where he's just like, yeah, I just tell them the truth and like am honest about my intentions and they just want to talk to me and you're like just the amount of like lack of show-offiness you know i feel like if i was like yeah i befriended a troll i'd be like let me tell you about how i befriended a troll you know i'd be like really yeah. really like i fucking did a thing and it was so rad i want to tell everyone and chef's just like yeah whatever what what like it's hard <laughs> it's just... <laughs> oh my god that is <laughs> totally his <laughs> <laughs> all right need to make a meme make yes a note. please 
Yeah, I... I feel like Shepard is a fictional character. I just deeply, deeply love. Um, Mm -hmm. Not only because I'm always, like, hashtag rooting for everyone black, but also as a, like, ADHD nerd, just the idea of being like, but I need to know. And I'm like, no, I totally understand that. (laughs) Being like, how can I just go about my life knowing that there are, like, right, like, dryads and hinky punks and trolls and demons out in the world and i don't know anything about that oh hell no yeah (laughs) you know and it's like i think he's just like the embodiment of the like curiosity killed the cat and satisfaction brought them back saying like Mm -hmm. he's just like i'm not in it for like the money or like the fame or to leave like to brag i just like I just really want to know this information and it's very important to me. And I'm like, so he's a Gemini, huh? (laughs) Probably. I feel like charming and curious is like at their best. Like that's what Gemini's are all about. Yeah. I think he's probably a Gemini. Yeah. I also super love that the line where he says, I'm the most basic bitch possible. (laughs) And Penny laughed at it, even though she, like, didn't want him. Like, I don't understand why I laughed at him. Like, because you're a little bit charmed by this. Just a yeah. smidge. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Shepard is such an excellent character. And I think every genre story should have a Shepard. So. And not to mention, I just also love this narrative of being, like, I'm not magical. But, like, I need to still be a part of this. You know? It, it feels very much like. And it's because I just talked about this yesterday on Buffering. <laughs> but I'm like, I just love narratives about people who aren't chosen still like choosing to be a part of these like sort of extraordinary, like the extra extraordinary, extraordinary magical stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. So I find that so much more interesting than being like, well, I was born into this. So like, duh, here I am. And I'm like, okay, cool. But yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think it's also because we've been having such a focused conversation about Ron uh, on the Gaily Prophet of late. And Shepard is, you know, allegedly our Ron proxy for this series. I feel like he's really showing us what, you know, not special, not chosen can look like uh, at its, at its best, you know? Yeah. Even though it's, like, ridiculous to say that Shepard is not special, but I think it's ridiculous to say that most people aren't special. Like, I don't know, I really love the part in Doctor Who when Eleven, someone's like, I'm just, or I'm, like, I'm not important, and he's like, I've been alive for 1,200 years and I've never met anyone who wasn't important before. You know, everyone has something that they're bringing to the table, but, like, Shepard's just so, like, ready to just, like, support anyone that he meets you know and part of it is because he has this intense curiosity and he like wants to know them but you don't keep going back to the hanky punk who just wants someone to talk to about their migraines if you're not you know if his whole intention is just to like know that a hanky punk exists and have met them then you can just do that once you know going back and being like let's have tea i know you need someone to talk to is an act of care and evidence that he's just a really kind person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, also the importance of uh, 
care work even when everyone else around you is uh extraordinary in some regards because it's like you are focused on some on one thing so like shepherd could be focused on making sure you guys get there safely and don't drive into any more magic zones you know as much as i rag on xander like he also provides care work for like the scoobies he like brings them donuts he helps fix buffy's house in later (laughs) seasons and like kind of like the importance of that i think is i mean undervalued in our in the u.s regardless but like i think often like sort of disregarded when you have characters like this you know Mm -hmm. like like a shepherd yeah yeah i think it was on the gaily prophet when we were talking about shepherd in relation to ron and i was like i would marry shepherd and later when i was like recounting the conversation to evan i was like I kind of, I kind of did, actually. Because <laughs> I think, I think that it's really funny that in general, that's not something that people will like express valuing. And I think, especially not in people who are like, you know, unexceptional or ordinary, and especially not in men, but like being married to a cis man who like, people just very regularly are like, Evan is so special. Like, he's such a good person. And literally, all he does that makes him a good person is, like, be very kind and patient and, like, explain things well and help people when they need to be helped. And the fact that that's extraordinary sucks. But also, like, (laughs) yeah, we need, I think, need in general to just be like, this is this is something that like contributes to the world in like a big and meaningful way, even though it isn't showy and it isn't like flashy, you know? Yeah. I feel like all my points sound to me like they're coming out very convoluted today, but hopefully they'll sound no. better when I listen back to the recording. No, I mean, I think this makes total sense. Um, our, our listeners do not know Evan, but I do. And he is an incredible person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you should, you should, I guess, play that for him. I'm like, oh, I guess I should, I don't know if I've ever said that. Because sometimes it's, like, weird to be, like, telling people that they're, like, great. I don't know why. Maybe that's just me. But anyway, yes, Shepard is an incredible character. And that's, this is the kind of character you want in your Ron character. And there are points in the series where Ron does step up and step into the, like, doing, like, the caring, you know, role. But he's also a flawed character and, and oftentimes just does not do does the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, when you're talking, I'm like, oh, Shepard's just a Hufflepuff. And I feel like, once again, the way that people, like, disregard the importance and specialness of, like, people who are Hufflepuffs is just like, uh, you don't understand. Yep, exactly. The foundation of society (laughs) yeah and like even the foundation of like if you are thinking beyond just like chosen one superpowered people in fiction if you're thinking about like even like political movements it's like yeah people who are like out there who are marching who are like have the megaphones who have people's ears are important but so are the people who bring food and water (laughs) to you know people who are picketing you know like those folks are literally what help fuel political movements and it's just like and it's okay that's like not all of us can be the like i'm gonna fucking throw a brick at a cop in a protest kind of person you know not everyone can be other like i'm gonna be picketing for like 12 hours a day kind of person but some people are the like here is a pan of brownies and a case of bottled water right i can give you a ride i can 
right? Yeah. I can help fix up the community center. I can whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And like without those things, like without rides, no one goes to the protest. Without food, everyone is, you know, unwell, yeah. like physically yeah. unwell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't pick it for 12 hours if you don't have food and water. <laughs> exactly. Like that's. Yep. And I think in the case of Shepard, it's not just bringing food. It's also like, I will bring you food and I will help you decompress afterwards, you know? Yeah. Which also is so valuable and you can't do both, you know? And I think that's something that's always been like really, really hard for me to like get myself to accept because I always feel like I should be on the front lines and like, I just can't like emotionally, physically, all the ways like that's just not a place that I can be but I can definitely listen you know I can empathize I can like offer you space that's something I'm really good at and holding that to be important and recognizing that I actually like maybe one person could do both but like shouldn't and I think that the line between can and should is really important yeah you shouldn't be doing your decompressing with like other people who also need to decompress about the same thing. That's like, yeah. Hard. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, it's so funny. Cause I feel like you could say on the surface that like chosen one media is really about sort of feeds into like Mer- American individualism, but oftentimes the best examples of that are when you have a chosen one and it, group of people that supports them because again like you can't you can't like one person can't do all of the things you know right and like people are social mammals like we want to be around others and be in a group and be you know so it's sort of like you always need the shepherds (laughs) right you know which sounds like you know like i'm saying some kind of weird bible quote but (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean right it's just like it's not physically possible to do all the things which i think anyone who like say works 40 hours a week and then also tries to like clean their house and like make all their meals it's like you realize that's not realistic right (laughs) like you you just physically cannot do all of those things but america's like yes you can it's like no it's a lie right exactly yep all right (laughs) do you have any more points about shepherd i do not (laughs) cool Um, all right, so I have just one thing about Baz, if that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I love Baz, obviously. <laughs> I really love this this thing where Simon is talking to us about how strong Baz is and how he forgets how strong Baz is because he doesn't carry himself like he's strong and he never touches Simon harder than Simon can touch him, basically. And I just think that's beautiful. It is. All I can think of is if you're like petting, say, like a kitten and you can just feel how sort of fragile they are and you're just like, oh, if I squeeze too hard, I I could crush you. And it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God. (laughs) So, so fragile. And I just feel like that's kind of bad as mind frame because of how probably so much like he could break Simon's bones. So he's probably just like, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You're careful. All right. You had a penny thing. Yeah, um, so Penny is, like, infuriated about Shepard when he's like, but just try to imagine if you were normal. She's like, no, I cannot. And I'm just like, I cannot tell if that is because of her extreme stubbornness or if it's a, like, 
I literally cannot fathom the question you're asking me. I think it's bigotry. Okay. I mean, and we know that her mom in particular has very poor opinions of normals. Um, It's the part where she's, where she's like, this is like you asking me what it's like to be a frog. Do frogs even have feelings? And it's like, I don't think that's a, you know, intentionally exaggerated analogy. Like, I think that she legitimately thinks of normals as being a separate class of being than mages. Class in the, like, kingdom phylum. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Different branch of the tree of evolution than mages. Which makes sense, considering we'll talk a little bit about the just supreme snootiness of mages and how Shepard's like, they just think they're so great. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, yeah, I'm just like, this actually is not that terrible of a thought experiment, Penny. But she is just, she just shuts it down so hard. I'm just like, where's this vitriol coming from? That yeah. makes sense, though. I think just the sort of, like, anti-normal bigotry, like, definitely makes sense. And it's very unexamined here for Penny. Yeah, and it makes sense, too, in that we keep seeing her insisting on, re- like, thinking of Simon as being a mage, even though he keeps being like, stop, I'm a normal. And she's like, no, you're not. And Baz is the same way. And I I think that makes sense because both of them just have these incredibly low opinions of normals. And to think of, you know, Baz's boyfriend, Penny's best friend as being a normal is like, to them, that's like the worst thing that they could call him, you know? Yeah. Which now that you bring that up, makes me wonder if there are like basically mage insults that are like fucking normal, you know, kind of. Yeah, I bet there are. While we're on this, I want to just bring up, um, so she and Shepard have this sort of, like, argument where she's like, you're not allowed to know any of this, it's none of your fucking business, how dare you have access to information, which, like, Penny, what the fuck? And he's really, like, pressing her on this, and she's like, we're magic, you're not, and Shepard says we are made of magic without our magic you're worse than normal you're useless which is so good yes and accurate (laughs) so accurate yeah and i like you know obviously that's where the chapter ends and shep's like whoops fucked that up like we pick up with him yeah like no you're right and all, all other magic in the world exists separate from normals. Like, mages are the only ones who are reliant upon normals for access to their magic. So, like, get get over yourselves, you know? Yeah, right. It's, like, such an obvious, like, symbiotic relationship. It's, like... It's parasitic. It's only symbiotic if everyone's benefiting. And since mages don't go out of their way to benefit normals with the magic that they have access to, it's parasitic. Or what is it when it's like, because I guess they're not hurting the normals either. What is the one, there's something in between parasitic and symbiotic where it's just sort of like one benefits and the other isn't harmed. What is that called? Uh... 
commensalism, I believe. Okay, yes, commensalism, where one organism benefits and the other isn't harmed. Mutualism is where both benefit. Parasitism is where one benefits and the other is harmed. So mages and normals have a commensalist, whatever. The relationship is commensal. This is okay. a hard word to say. That yeah, what a weird, what a weird. I've like never heard this word before in my life. So yeah, they, it doesn't get talked about a lot. I feel like it was not until a like higher level college biology course that I like heard about it for the first time. Anyway, so that is what kind of relationship it is, and mages need to respect normals, right? And it's like clearly there's like. Yeah, clearly normals have magic if, like, the magic of using a phrase is what mages are able to tap into. Like, they're tapping into an existing magic that is created by normals. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like we're already sort of in Face the Truth, so let's go to... <laughs> Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Yeah, so the sort of header that I had for this conversation is that magicians are basically colonizers. <laughs> like, the way that they think about things, and I was thinking about it specifically in relationship to what Shep tells us about how other magical creatures think about them, where it's like, yeah. all of us have magic, and they went and called themselves magicians. It's like calling yourself the air breathers like you're not fucking special but they sure act like they're fucking special yeah yeah which is like such a such a colonialist mind (laughs) yep it's like we can control it in this way so clearly we own all of it and it's like yeah but if your magic is dependent on the use or non-use of phrases by normals then normals are also in control of the magic that you're tapping like you're just able to tap into it like you're not creating it <laughs> right so and in fact one of your mages tried to destroy it so like I... <laughs> so yeah it's like mages would be wouldn't able to do literally jack shit without normals so right how conveniently that is forgotten <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah thinking of speakers as shepherd as americans call them as livestock it's like livestock that can strike you know like (laughs) they could just go on a silent strike they we and like what the fuck would happen to your magic then you know yeah it also sort of feels like a metaphor for like cultural appropriation (laughs) just because it's like I feel like I, I feel like what happens all of the time is that like, I don't know, black people will create a phrase like canceling to describe a very specific like in community thing or in joke or whatever. And then like white people get a hold of it. And then like, then it's like, well, now we can't use this anymore because it's this thing that either people are tired of hearing or they're like, you know, or like woke where it's like, it, it like it's lost all meaning now because like you can't use woke how black people were using it you know and then it's just like well you gotta find something else now mm-hmm. and then some, and then the cycle repeats itself and like considering how much of american culture is just black pop culture repop like 
appropriated by white people and been like made popular. It's like, mm, it just feels a little bit like what mages are doing mm-hmm. <laughs> with normals. It's like, you know, if normals weren't like creating culture and making music and writing books, like you wouldn't even have, you wouldn't have like clean as a whistle or whatever. Right. And it's like, then what? Right. Like you would just have shit from like, Shakespeare or the Bible or like other very old texts and not anything new or specific. Yeah. I feel like there's just like too many things going through my brain. So I'm like, it'll percolate and then it'll come back in a later episode. Sounds good. What do you want to talk about here? Um, I have a detailed, not detailed uh, explanation slash critique of Shepard's explanation of the quiet zones and magical Im- magical creatures immigration, which I think is just maybe a bit of a blind spot from uh, the author. Okay. Yes, please. All right. So we we get we so we get in this chapter uh, these chapters Shepard explaining to Penny that you know quiet zones were were always here. And, you know, magical creatures, um, starting with the Im- starting with Irish and German immigrant magical beings is sort of what pushed the like quiet zones for magical beings thing. Right. Wait, am I summarizing that correctly? I should have pulled it up. So my understanding is that magical creatures immigrated here before white people and they were able to just like carve out space for themselves where they weren't interrupting the people and magical creatures that were already living here because there there was like space for that you know where they weren't going to be in anybody's Mm. way and then everything was sort of like chill and they could have their own spaces where they weren't interfering with normals and normals weren't interfering with them or mages normals and mages whatever people humans and it wasn't until german and irish human immigrants started coming to what at that point was the u.s that the problems between mages and magical creatures started to arise all right so this is based in some historical accuracy okay but obviously a big but the timeline of this does i mean so let me just explain sort of the history of what's going on in specifically Nebraska around this time. So uh, in the 1500s, uh, Nebraska is, quote unquote, part of New France. Uh, it's part, it's actually the large chunk that uh, ended up becoming the Louisiana Purchase uh, a few hundred, 300 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but even though France, quote unquote, owns it, it's like they're really just trading with the remaining indigenous people for like fur and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so there isn't a significant a number of Irish immigrants coming to North America until like the early 1600s. And so mainly as indentured servants and shit. And that overlaps with the like human trafficking beginning of chattel slavery in 1619. Um, there isn't like really a big jump of Irish immigrants until like uh, 18 between like 1831 and 1931 so and like germans didn't really start immigrating to the u.s in really huge numbers until 1718 and that didn't really start increasing until 1850 
So what it what the book is telling us is that there were magical creatures from Ireland from Ireland and Germany coming before the like 1600s and 1700s which seems like unless they were coming here via like the French or the Spanish doesn't necessarily make it doesn't like have any wouldn't make any sense you know timeline wise unless because I mean like not like timeline wise but like it the like the sort of uh I think I think that's I think that I think that timeline by like you know and also like not necessarily only kind of like being like oh well like there is indigenous people here but then all these like magical beings like moved in before all of this like it really it really I feel like would make more sense if it was like French or Spanish magical creatures versus Irish and German I don't think that the magical creatures were specifically Irish or German I think they were just like European in general Mm. So it says some of these magical creatures were the first immigrants. They had plenty to get away from back home. So they came to the Great Plains. And yeah, there were native speakers and creatures here already, but there was also a hell of a lot of room. It wasn't until the Irish and German speakers showed up that there was real trouble. Hmm. So I assume that the magical creatures were basically fleeing from the advent of Christianity and feel comfortable being like they probably had methods of like traveling over the ocean that humans don't have access to yeah. like riding their weradactyl friends um <laughs> just a whole group of weradactyls like flying from wherever to like yeah um and so you know so they get to the u.s and their goal is just like find somewhere where they're not going to be in anybody's way where they can like have their own communities and mm. aren't going to be like interfering with anybody who's already living here and are not going to be persecuted by anybody who's living here and so my question about like why specifically the irish and german speakers being creating the trouble is like did they like settle the great plains in like higher numbers than other white immigrants or like um i mean it did from the little bit of Wikipedia research that I did, there was definitely a larger number of Irish immigrants who were moving more into the, like, outside of the, like, established colonies and sort of more into the rest of the country in, like, the, you know, when they first started coming here because the Irish famine was late 1800s time. And that's kind of when they were, like you know around the time there's also like a large population of and i think maybe some like weird like religious persecution because catholic church fighting with each other was like you know a thing yeah and germans didn't really even really start immigrating to the u.s is from what i could tell until like like it started in like 18 17 18 and like ramped up in 1850 i know that like sort of in like the 19 like the 1900s like you know around like that is really when you get you know more immigrants like moving out into the sort of like midwest great plains area but yeah i mean the from what i from what is on available on wikipedia there does not appear to be anything about sort of the what kind of like immigration you know happened kind of like 
around the time it became a state, like, you know, like the 1800s. But according to Wikipedia, the largest white ancestry that people are reporting on in Nebraska is German. Like 36% of people in Nebraska who are white identify as German. So at some point, okay, a lot of Germans moved there. When? I'm not totally sure. But that, it, it feels like it's much later than colonial times. I mean, but I think that that makes sense at least from what we have in the book, it makes sense that that the sort of issues between the magical creatures and humans would be recent, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that does make sense. So at least it sounds like there's some accuracy in terms of like uh, German immigrants causing a population boom in this area where the magical creatures currently or previously had been like, we're good, you know? Yeah. We don't have to interact with humans. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do still a little bit feel like, very similar to Harry Potter, I feel like I now have a question of, like, explain to me how, like, slavery works when you have, like, magical people and magical creatures. Like, I just... I mean, obviously, there's, like, not a whole lot of mages compared to normals, but... I don't know. I, f- I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I have questions, <laughs> which I guess actually I can kind of already envision considering how one of the strategies for once trafficked African people got here was to make sure that you didn't have too many people who spoke the same languages, like being in the same space. So anyway. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty well-known tactic to sort of, I mean, keep people fucking bewildered and off kilter so yeah but yeah anyway i'll answer my own question there so (laughs) welcome to i'm just a poor boy where we talk about ways you can support our podcast um we're still really trying to get to our Patreon goal of $6,666 a month. So if you are able, please go to patreon.com slash thegailyprofit and join us. And right now I want to be like, remember at the top of the episode when I was like, send us your gender and sexuality advice questions. Last year we got so many that we ended up making three episodes, only one of which went out on the main feed the other two were just on patreon and if you're like wow i really love those episodes you two are so smart and give such good advice you are correct and if you want to listen to them you should totally join our patreon so that you can Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. Here is the thing that is... We spent, we just spent a lot of time talking about how fucking ridiculous mages are and their view of normals. Mm-hmm. And Penny being like, there's shit about us online. And it's like, yes! <laughs> Have you ever experienced the internet? Of course, there are... This is a weird subreddit or facebook group about seeing actual magical beings and stuff like real no really no one is checking that no okay 
I mean, that seems like a gross oversight, but I mean, who am I to tell mages how to keep themselves out of the public eye if there no one is looking at what's going on in the internet? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's really <laughs> funny. And I feel like I think it's possible that non-English mages just like don't care as much. It seems like the British are like very precious about their magic in a way that like we see Americans are not. They're sort of like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's rad that I can magically do my dishes. Okay, mm-hmm. bye. So maybe just like no one else cares. And the British are like so uptight about it that they assume that there couldn't possibly have be leaks, you know? Uh, so like why would they even need to check the internet there there's definitely some like 22 year old american mage who's like i'm i can i can do magic ask me anything <laughs> somewhere <laughs> yeah totally so yeah i mean i think you're right it does seem like the british mages are a little bit more like uptight about it yeah yeah I actually don't have anything in this section that we haven't already talked about, so. Oh, uh, I think my only other thing just sort of connects is that I think Shepard also has a point that it's so ridiculous of Penny to assume that no normals anywhere would not notice magical things happening. I know. And it's like, okay, yes, probably a lot of people aren't going to notice that, you know? Like, that's just the way, I mean, like, okay. But, I mean, I don't know. I feel like if you're someone who likes to go foraging in the woods for like stuff and you come across some fairies in a fairy circle, you're going to be like, um, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Right. You know, or like, there's plenty of people who like notice a lot of details and notice things that, you know, you can are easily overlooked. So it's just like, just a very funny worldview from Penny to be like, um... I know you guys aren't like casting spells in the street and be like, no one's going to notice except they, they are, they did essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And someone did in fact notice. So it's kind of like, I'm just, yeah. I mean, it's not like the mages are necessarily hiding, but because of that, it's like sort of just like very ridiculous to assume that no one else could experience magic happening and just be like, that's weird. Right. Which I guess it might just connects back to your kind of like, bigotry about normals just being like sheep in a field you know that you're they're like you're easily led around and astray and you're never going to notice any of the things around you so right yeah and i think that really is just what it boils down to is she just has such a low opinion of normals in a way that just doesn't like it doesn't make any sense yeah i know Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. Um, we get perhaps perhaps our first um real like Simon's like, God, I really wish Baz would bite me. Cause Baz is like, you should be wearing your cross, and Simon's like, I'd rather risk a bite, and Baz is like, I would never. And Simon says, I know, and I think we can all hear that I know being a little disappointed. Yeah, it's a like, ugh, I know. 
Um, yeah, I think this actually feeds nicely into uh, what I have, which is I, I feel like in this scene, when Simon's like, you know, like, Baz doesn't care himself, you know, like he's like super strong, like he's out, he, he never pushes more than I can push back. And I think it's like, Simon, I think you want Baz to be a little bit more rough with you than just like on equal footing. You want it to be like, oh, you can squeeze me a little harder. That's fine. You know? And I'm like, good for you. I'm like, I hope it happens for you one day, Simon. It will. That is true. Sort of. I mean, yeah. not like super sexy, but like in the next book, he is able to be like, no, be firmer with me. All right. My only other thing here besides our kiss, kill, improvise is that just Penny is being so funny about Shepard. Like, it's so obvious that she's into him like immediately because she's like... You know, he smiles his not evil, but also not working on me smile. <laughs> and you're like, excuse me, Penny. <laughs> that part where she's like, I don't know why I laughed at that joke. I must just be so tired. Yeah, you wouldn't mention, you wouldn't have to mention it wasn't working on you if you were trying to not think about the fact that it's working on you. Exactly. So. Um, and then I wrote me thinks the lady doth protest too much and then i was like oh my god that's a truth spell oh my god right! <laughs> but you know you know what kind of truth spell it is that is the kind of truth spell that young people do at like sleepovers to be like tell us your crush oh my god it is <laughs> cares about 15 year olds like making each other confess their crushes yeah <sighs> cute <laughs> all right um and so before we leave this section we have a i have a kiss kill improvise for you all right your options this week are a hinky punk a creek dryad and a bridge troll okay I think I'm going to have to kiss the Creek Dryad. I'm shocked. I know. Totally <laughs> shocked. Um, probably kill the Hinky Punk because unlike Shepard, I don't necessarily know if I want to talk to a like amorphous glowing ghost necessarily, um, which means improvising with the bridge troll because it sounds more interesting than talking to the Hinky Punk, honestly. And you also love bone broth. I also love bone broth. I make an excellent broth. So I could bring over a whole stock pot. Have a good time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Perfect. Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. My first thing is very brief. I just really like that we get a description of what clean as a whistle feels like physically. Mm-hmm. It's like a scraping sensation. Yeah, I don't like that. Oh my god, I would. I, I feel like it's <laughs> a thing that I would like get, I don't want to say addicted to, but you know, like, like cleaning under your fingernails or people who like clean, like Q-tip their ears to the point where they like get ear infections all the time or like burst their eardrums. Like, yeah, I would have that with clean as a whistle it sounds so satisfying to me okay that's fair yeah that's that is the kind of sensation that like i 
don't like. Like, I don't like cleaning up under my nails. Cleaning my ears is fine, but, like, cleaning up under my nails and, like, stuff like that, I'm just, like, I just, I don't know what it is about it. Um, So I was like, uh, mm, no. Don't let this scraping. All right. Um, what do you have first? Um, I just mostly have uh, the origins of uh, two of the spells that we, I mean, I didn't, I didn't do clean as a whistle because I don't. We've already talked about that one. Yeah. I mean, surprise, uh, is this a dagger which I see before me is from Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, Macbeth, specifically. True Colors is actually also from Shakespeare. Huh. Uh, yeah, it's used in a couple. It's used in a couple of his plays, and at least from the limited research that I did today, it seems like there's a couple of theories about where like showing your true colors comes from. Uh, a one popular one is that it's from the 16th or 17, 16 or 1700s, where ships would fly specific flags to be identified, but pirates would scam. Uh, the military and other ships by flying a false flag in order to avoid detection. Mm-hmm. Ties in so well with our joint recent obsession with our flag means death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because a pirate flag does in fact mean death. <laughs> also, yeah, that, I was like reading it. I'm like, oh, more pirate stuff. <laughs> um, it also, I also find a theory that it might have something to do with sort of like Roman era and post-Roman era warfare where having your soldiers wear a specific color so you don't accidentally kill people in your own army thinking that they're the enemy. Got it. Cool. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about the mage versus Penny's mom's sort of attitudes towards magic where... (gasps) The mage says, never cast big spells unless you have to. Whereas Penny's mom says, cast big spells every day to build up your reserves, to dig a deeper well to hold your magic. And since we we know now about, you know, I think they were both just speaking from a place of like ma- theories, you know, ideas about how... The magical ecosystem works but like post humdrum we have a much clearer sense sort of of how magic really exists in the world and so i think we can actually think about these two things in the context of the real magical ecosystem mm-hmm. it doesn't what we don't know still is like how different people sort of have different amounts of magic that we that's still an unknown factor here but i still think we can have a starting point for the conversation yeah maybe it's epigenetics is that what they're called Mm -hmm. because and i'm thinking of that specifically because like we get we see like penny and baz just like so like physically depleted and also like penny's like my magic is depleted i couldn't like cast a truism and like the only really thing to do about it is like rest and time sort of like if you've overexerted yourself, mm-hmm. <laughs> like physically, you're like, I'm sore, my muscles hurt, like, I can't do anything until I've rested and drank some water and, like, time has passed, you know? Right. Yeah, so it must kind of, like, it must act like any other, like, a system in your body where it's, like, obviously your genetics have some say and, like, 
how your body looks and how your body acts in response to stuff. But like you can make muscles be stronger, you know, certain things make muscles weaker, whatever. And like some people have, you know, bodies that can do things that are like, you know, I can't do any of the shit that an Olympic athlete can do, you know? And like part of it is that because I'm not, haven't been trained since I was like four to do it. And part of it is other stuff, right? Right. Okay, so the mage is coming at this from the standpoint of sort of like, at any given moment, you only have access to like a set amount of magic and maybe how much that magic, how much magic that is varies from person to person. But like, you shouldn't use magic unless like, don't use too much magic frivolously in case you need to be able to use more magic. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mitali is saying you know, just like singers and swimmers get more breath control and like can hold their breath for longer or take deeper breaths by like singing more and like training or swimming more. Yeah. You can increase the amount of like at stasis magic your body holds through practice. Right. I think that she's writer about that. Yeah, I think so too. Especially considering everything else we sort of get about the magical ecosystem and how our characters are like engaging in it and using it and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? And I guess it like also the fucking mage. So of course the mage is like, as opposed to like not fucking around with dragon's blood and just like having a, a baby without a bunch of bullshit and being like we're gonna work on these magical exercises starting at like four like you're fucking an olympic figure skater you know Mm -hmm. it's like oh no i gotta do it's like like really fucked up shit so it's like untapped well of magic and then we see how that worked out (laughs) right like uh you've like damaged something in the world and Mm -hmm. your own child Mm -hmm. i mean and not to say that like i have to maybe have some mixed feelings about parents who really push their children to like excel at a thing from a young age. Cause it's like, okay, whatever. But Simon would have been so much better off as a person, you know, going the route of being like, Oh, you can work at increasing your magic and being powerful versus bringing in a lot of fucking dark magic, like shady bullshit to try to like unnaturally suck magic out of everything to like funnel into your child. Mm-hmm. I think that makes it extra screwed up that they historically had trials to get into Watford, which I think mentally reinstates. Does she? I'm pretty sure she does. I think creatures can still go to Watford under Professor Bunce, but I'm pretty sure that she reinstates the trials. But like... If you can build up your magic reserves through practice, then people like Jamie Salisbury should go to Watford because, you know, his his like baseline magic that he was born with isn't the limit to how much magic he can do, you know? Yeah, <sighs> yeah that's screwed up. It is. All right. Yes. <laughs> so what do you have next? Um, I don't know if I brought this up in the Gaily Prophet, but uh, hinky punks are just basically another name for a, like will o' the wisps, ghosty, glowy, magical beings that like mislead 
like travelers and they live in like swamps and bogs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I do want to pick up, I do want to say that that makes sense to me that there would be one living in a subdivision because I think of how often U.S. wetlands have been like drained and like paved over to build like uh, subdivisions mm-hmm. that I'm like, that makes sense to me that there'd be a swamp magical being in a subdivision be like, I was fucking here for a hundred years until these motherfuckers paved over my shit. Yeah, she probably lives in one of those, like, what are they called? The, like, round things that the water runs out under the road in. Oh, uh, yeah. Culvert, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also totally makes sense that she would get migraines with that, like, access to her sort of, like, source. Yeah. Messed up. I know. I learned about hanky punks today that there's one in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I saw that on Wikipedia, but I did not click on it. So you shouldn't, because they like know what it is. But I feel like you should just go like enjoy the hanky punk at some point without knowing its source. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a plan. It's called the the Paulding Paulding Light P A U L D I N G. Mm. Um, that sounds neat. I'm a little sad that it was debunked. I think people should chill the fuck out on trying to I know. debunk things. Let us live. <laughs> right. Just let us have a hanky punk. What? What? It's not hurting anyone. Mm-mm. Okay. Do you have anything else? I have one more thing, which is a mention in these chapters of jackalopes, which I think are my uh, favorite American cryptoid. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So, um... I'm just here to impart a little bit of information about jackalopes. I don't know how much you know about jackalopes. Not a lot. All right. So for those not in the U.S. who have not heard of a jackalope, a jackalope is a horned, like an antlered rabbit. And it seems like there's, from what I can tell from Wikipedia, there have been uh, stories of like weird hybrid rabbits in other countries. And even in the U.S. prior to like the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 1930s, some dude in Wyoming created like taxidermy jackalopes with rabbits and antler and, you know, was sell- you know selling them as like new, you know, animal, like unusual animal and like made a bunch of money and people were like obviously really into that because, I mean, who wouldn't want <laughs> a, jackal- a taxidermy jackalope to the point where like it's a very big animal in Wyoming because of this and because of the popularity of the jackalope what is wild about jackalopes that i learned is that there is a possibility that what jackalopes are inspired by is a actual rabbit disease that causes them to grow these like weird horn-like growths on their skin uh, and often like like on and around their heads Hmm. And there's, like, a very gross photo on Wikipedia of, like, a rabbit that has, like, these weird, like, horn things coming out of its mouth. Weird. Yeah. And, of course, people who have hunted these rabbits and are just like, oh, this weird, you know, warty rabbit that has horns. So, of course, people are like, oh, a horned rabbit is clearly a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so... And because this this virus seems to affect rabbits like in like Europe and Asia. Also, that's probably the inspiration for like stories about horned rabbits in folklore and those continents also. 
Interesting. Yeah. That's so cool. I know. Yeah. I mean, rabbits are very fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I don't know. I mean, obviously, America has a wealth of weird cryptids, but I don't know. Jackalopes just seem really cool. I don't know. (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. I just have basically from you starting to talk about the taxidermied ones have just been like, I want one. If anyone wants to buy me a taxidermied jackalope, we have a P.O. box. It's uh, (laughs) on our website. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, at some point I want to go to Colorado. And even though Colorado is very, I mean, it touches, but it's still like I would not be anywhere near Wyoming. I'm like, I bet there's a weird, there's still like a bunch of weird taxidermists who are like, do you want jackalope? And it's like, yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. What a great episode we just had. Yeah. I feel like that was such a, like, so much, so many things. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we will be reading chapters 32 and 33. So get caught up on that. And Escape from Reality and our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, are both creations of Hashtag Ruthless Productions and are produced, mixed, and edited by me. You should check out our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, and um, We Are the Gayers, which is a Patreon-exclusive podcast. Yes, you can find us upon the internet. We are on Instagram and Twitter, at The Gaily Prophet, if you want to see the shepherd memes that i'm going to be making you should definitely be sure to follow us on instagram uh where did i already say we're at the gaily prophet on both of those uh if you want to buy me a jackalope or like (laughs) go to our shop or any of the other fun things that we have on our website you can do all of get all of that information uh at hashtag ruthless.com and if you want to join our patreon it is patreon.com slash the gaily prophet and if you do not have any money. There are some free ways to support us. Um, you can rate and review this podcast on iTunes. That really helps people find this podcast. And the more people who listen to us, um, the less pressure on you to give us money. <laughs> <laughs> um, you should also tell all your friends about this podcast and uh, share, like and share things on social media. Yep. If you want to follow me on the internet, I'm on Instagram at Lark Malachi, and my website is LarkMalachi.com, and you can pre-order my tarot deck through the hashtag Ruthless Shop. Woohoo! Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit, and on Instagram at Live from Detroit. Um, but if you want to, but if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can also find me on our Discord channel directly. <laughs> can hang out with jesse irl not me though i'm afraid of that <laughs> <laughs> the music and our theme song is by kevin mcleod the rest of the music is bohemian rhapsody by queen and until next time scatamoosh, scatamoosh.